Hello and welcome to the Final Ghost Podcast where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. In this first series we're bringing on special guests to dive deep into film and TV shows with witchcraft at the heart of them. I'm Anna, co-founder of the Final Ghost and your podcast host. Today's episode is about the witches. I take a deep sigh there because for children of a particular generation, this film is traumatizing as fuck. And I've been dying to tackle it, but also leaving it almost till the end of the series because, frankly, I didn't want to revisit it. Based on the Roald Dahl book of the same name, which I also read as a kid, we follow a young boy, Luke, and his grandmother as they stumble onto a witch's convention. The witches, who beneath their appearance as regular women are hideous, bold, toeless creatures, hate children more than anything else in the world. And their leader, the Grand High Witch, is portrayed here with maximum camp by Angelica Houston, is the worst one of them all. Luke and his grandmother try to stop them as they prepare to rid the world of all children, even after they turn Luke into a mouse. It sounds cute. It isn't. The film is directed by Nicholas Roque, the filmmaker behind such works as Performance, Don't Look Now, and Bad Timing. And The Witches remains, frankly, just as disturbing a watch as an adult as it was as a kid. In this episode, I'm joined by the wicked smart Tara Judah, cinema producer at The Watershed in Bristol and frequent collaborator of The Final Girls, to dig into some of the reasons why this film, and Angelica Houston's performance in particular, really gets under your skin. Remove your shoes. You may remove your wigs. The doors are they locked and bolted? Locked and bolted. The ground. Good. Help. No, no, no. Your disgrace, miserable witches, your good-for-nothing worms. Everywhere I look, I see the repulsive sight of hundreds, thousands of revolting little children. It's so nice to speak to you again and um, remotely, but not just for geographical reasons this time. No, this is the uh, the new version of how I guess everything will be done from now on um, with a, a mindful social distance from one another. Yes, that's that's an excellent and very positive way to put it. <laughs> the silver lining, you just really got to want to see it. I'm pumped because i've been i've been really truly waiting to talk about the 1990 the witches for pretty much since 
this entire project began. And the last time we spoke about a witch film was about Hocus Pocus, which were recorded way back in September in the before times when there were things like cinemas and... Back when we could be (laughs) person, when we could be in a room together. Yes, yes. Good times. I look look back fondly on them. (laughs) This film came up at that point and... um, it's it's great it's great to be able to revisit it properly so i wanted to kind of dig straight in and ask you what's your relationship with nicholas rogues the witches when did you first watch it and how has that relationship evolved so i first saw this film when i was a kid in fact i think i must have seen it multiple times when i'm when i was a kid i i couldn't unfortunately like you know this is the nature of memory i couldn't actually tell you if i saw it loads or if it was just once or twice but my my memory of it is so vivid that i feel like it must have been many times um and i found this film And I think it's because I found this film captivating, but also terrifying. So as a child, I was like absolutely scared shitless of these witches. I thought a really scary film. Like this is such a scary film for a child, but I kind of loved it as well. And I think what was really like one, there's, you know, there's a kid. So you obviously have empathy for them when you're a child. And I think there was that kind of um, affinity with, with Luke and his journey throughout the film. But also actually, I think even as a child, I was completely captivated and confused by Angelica Houston's character, like something. And it's because she embodies so many different female stereotypes that there, there's no way that, you know, if you think about like presenting this figure to a child, of course, it's amazing and scary all at once. She's, simultaneously the most abhorrent looking witch that you can possibly imagine the most disgusting looking um conjuring like the puppet work and the prosthetics and stuff here is really incredible but they've really done such a good job of making her disgusting looking and yet she as an actress is obviously also as a real person is incredibly beautiful but all through either part of that transition she's still sexy like she's slinky and sexy while she's beautiful and while she's ugly. And even as a child, when you don't know what sexy means yet, or you don't really kind of understand those concepts, you you've seen enough, I guess in, and certainly I, I, you know, I was raised by television and movies, but like, particularly if you're watching a lot of that kind of imagery, you know that that's something alluring or you know that that's something to be impressed by. I mean, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the words around it would be as like an eight year old kid, but I definitely know that I was mesmerized by her. And I was fascinated by this idea that she could be both of these things at one time. Um, and that somehow one face could hide another face, like that this beautiful face that Angelica Houston has could hide this hideous, horrible, scary, witch that wants to like kill children and that's the other thing you know like the the desire of the witches is to eradicate children so you're like oh this beautiful figure who I guess also at the time you're probably quite often and certainly for me you think of your mother as this beautiful woman right like so you think of these women of those kind of ages and I think Angelica Houston would have been a similar age to my mum probably at that time like you know sort of 30s 40s kind of you're thinking oh this beautiful woman like my like a maternal figure only Angelica Houston is not maternal she wants to kill she's a witch and wants to kill children so like (laughs) it kind of flips everything you know I think as a kid on on its head and then I I guess I never watched it for years after my kind of childhood fascination with it and then I went to revisit it and I was like oh my god 
this time around I'm watching a Nicholas Rogue film and like it's it's like a whole nother experience I mean it still had all of that stuff from my childhood but it also had this extra layer of wow I never noticed how the camera angles and the editing serve um to kind of create the the dramatic tension and the atmosphere and the tone of the film Absolutely. First of all, super impressed by eight-year-old Tara, who could read all of that into this film. Um, <laughs> Not sure if I could. That's, I mean, that's the benefit of hindsight. <laughs> I, I can 100% imagine you at eight years old, totally delivering the same, um, <laughs> the same points and the same insights on the witches. I'm completely there with you. I remember n not um, particularly at what age, probably around the same age, like eight, nine, ten, something. It was the sort of film that constantly would be played or that would even might have been played to me at my school. And I remember being fascinated by the witches. I barely remembered uh, the narrative about the little kid. I couldn't remember his name. I remember him as a mouse rather than as a, as a protagonist of, of any sort. And as well totally with you whenever I visited this last night I was like this is a proper Nicholas Rogue movie this fits weirdly but somehow fits into his body of work and I was baffled a at the fact that it still remained scary and disturbing but in different ways and I was just absolutely gobsmacked that this was a film for children and that I could watch it as a child be it probably in hindsight explained a lot of things about my own personal neuroses that I could then see oh right yeah 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 I can see where I got that from now because <laughs> I probably got it from this film. Completely with you as well in the utter domain that Angelica Houston has of this film. So you kind of made um hinted at a couple of things that make her so alluring but would you like to expand on kind of how she just completely dominates the screen and the film with her presence. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a remarkable performance. And it's interesting because I was reading about how, you know, they had kind of other actresses in mind in case she she wouldn't get the part. I mean, I think she was always the kind of, they pegged her as the front runner, but like they considered people like Cher um, and Liza Minnelli. I mean, you just uh, totally could have been also brilliant, but a totally different film. And I think, um, you know, Angelica Houston it's funny outside of this role and, and, and maybe one or two others, I kind of think of her actually as quite a soft female figure. Um, and, but, but this film really embodies austerity, even in her beauty. Um, you know, she's got this very austere kind of like blunt fringe, this dark hairstyle. Um, she dresses in black. She's very sophisticated and very beautiful, but she's kind of drawing on a number of stereotypes. It's almost like she's a femme fatale meets like she could be the star of a noir film or, you know, she could be she's very intriguing and mysterious. We, we, when we're introduced to her, it's like we're introduced to this figure. We don't know who she is or what she kind of does, you know, like everything about her is kind of it's actually almost like wrapped up in the idea of this little black dress that she wears it's like simple and yet mysterious and so everything about her has this kind of clear clean lines like simplicity mm. and yet 
we know that there's something lurking um, beneath the surface all the time, like that it can't be that kind of simple and that that kind of one note. In fact, you know, she kind of embodies this idea of black and white because she's completely dressed in black and she's, mm-hmm. you know, got this kind of pale skin. But actually, she's the opposite of that. She's all of the gray areas. Um, and so I really love the way that they kind of play with this idea of like, could she be a femme fatale? Is she this sort of like um, alluring woman? And why is she so sexually alluring when it's a kid's, when it's a children's film? I mean, I think that's interesting because also I read that Nicholas Rogue really insisted that she, she yes. you know, perform with sex appeal, like whether she's being the witch or the non-witch, like at either point. And it's like, she's, you know, slinky body movements, even when she's got yeah. The prosthetics of a hump in her back she's still mm-hmm. moving with this kind of slinky fluid sexuality um that is just kind of oozing out of her yeah and the sexiness of her performance and the it's always there you know she's wearing the high heel she's fully made up with red lips with these i mean it's a it's a trait that all of the witches share in the film but she's got this really piercing purple contacts this kind of sexy foreign accent as well that she really hams up and she physically towers over everyone else and in a sea of pastel kind of quite uh conservative clothing and kind of uh women who i think by design are made up to be much more naturalistic and uh much less attention drawing to each other she stands out so much because everything about her seems so exuberant at the same time as quite simple like it seems out of place that she's all in black and just wandering in clippity clapping with her high heels and her stark bob and her really bright red lips yeah and i mean i think you know that too like those bright red lipstick that kind of color of blood and lust and all of that sort of stuff like she's incredibly um sort of iconically made up um and classically made up you know and she could be this could be a kind of vampire look like i mean it really does span so many different um sorts of genres and ideas i think that it and it deliberately you know kind of throws all those things up for you but what's really fascinating is that like you're saying in contrast to the other women and the other witches in the film is that Actually, the witches as a whole are portrayed as very dowdy um, and not beautiful and sexual. They are portrayed as looking, you know, human and like women, but as women who are masking something much more sinister. So they, you know, they're described as they don't wear beautiful shoes or pretty shoes or pointy shoes. They wear these kind of square toed shoes. Um, They, they, you know, they have gloves to kind of cover their hands. So they don't, even as, as women, we don't see them with like beautiful manicured nails or anything because they're hiding these like gross talons. So we see them in gloves. Everything's kind of hidden and kept in. And so you get, and they wear wigs, you know, they don't, they don't have natural hair. So all of that kind of stuff which actually you know is from the source material from Roald Dahl's book um which I also read as a kid and also quite liked but I think I the film always stuck with me way more than the book in fact it's a really early example of when I enjoyed a film more than a book but um (laughs) which which is always the opposite for book people but for me it's always like no the film was better um and particularly the witches which you know has its own reasons for being more memorable for me but I think also that concept of in the book of these these witches being almost like 
less beautiful versions of the humans that they're pretending to be. Um, and so this is what's so fascinating about Angelica Houston's character. And I think Nicholas Rogue's direction is that he's deliberately picked up a character that defies that even, and kind of embodies something that is far more cinematic, certainly in its references and its, you know, allusions to, to film history, but also in its sense of like that kind of stereotype and the whole that any um, protagonist in which we can see Luke as, even though he's a young boy and not a man, might fall down, which is being tricked by this beautiful woman or being kind of tricked by her two-facedness and her ability to hide one thing with another. One thing that I wanted to, to dig into a little bit as well is the hierarchy of witches, because we're given a, a pretty clear, pretty succinct explanation of how the witching world operates in in this universe. What do you think about the way that this grand witch, which is portrayed, Ava, who's portrayed by Angelica Houston, uh, operates within the witchdom? Like, what is her relationship with the other witches? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that she's, you know, she's this sort of figure that they all obviously look up to, aspire to, kind of are obsessed with. They're all, you know, absolutely, they're also mesmerized by her. So, you know, in that sense, like, she is this pinnacle woman again that, like, not only do we as an audience or as viewers like center our gaze on, but the gaze within the film is always centered on her as well from the, be that from the children who are frightened by her or the, you know, hotel staff or whatever, but also the witches themselves, they're all looking at her, you know, the dynamic of the room, the power relations is that she is always the one that everyone is looking at and aspiring to be like, they want to be close to her. They want to be like her. She's disgusted by all of them as well, which I think is kind of fascinating. Like she, she kind of, she sees them, I guess, as, you know, the, they, they do her bidding. They're part of her kind of army or her, her greater, um, you know, she kind of gets them to do what she wants. But I think actually, ultimately, she's a little bit repulsed by them too. Um, I, I think she kind of, she thinks of them as stupid and as beneath her and, you know, they're, they're frightened of her. Um, and that's to do with this, this idea of the power dynamic again, that it's, you know, it's always relational. There always has to be somebody who wields the power over others um, and who kind of masterminds the way that things things go. And I, I kind of wondered if like the way that that's portrayed in the film might be even Nicholas Rogue kind of trying to flip things a little bit, because certainly from the descriptions in the book of the witches, you can actually also see them as being Jewish. Um, it's this really uncomfortable kind of, um, way in which what the way that they're portrayed so these these wigs and um you know their hemlines always come below their knees like the way they dress is actually like for more orthodox jews um a lot, lot of jewish women you know have to go through those kind of the gloves the the wig etc and certainly Roald Dahl was anti-semitic he said lots of things over the years that you know cement that I mean he never explicitly kind of came out and sort of but he did say a lot of things that were very much like you could see a stereotype kind of thing where he was like well you know stereotypes are there for a reason so not justifying Hitler but suggesting that maybe he was onto something and so I wondered if maybe Nicholas Rogue was kind of playing with that mm -hmm. and doing the reverse um and sort of showing some kind of you know like almost way in which you could understand how the flip side of that is that power and ideology comes from a central place and a kind of fascination with a, a controlling power figure. Um, and almost that she is sort of like a kind of fascistic figure, almost mm -hmm. like Hitler or somebody of that ilk who kind of is able to wield over others and make them 
enact and do things that maybe they don't even necessarily think is right or they they are brainwashed into thinking is right so there's these really weird tensions in the film that are kind of underlying it constantly where it's sort of like playing with ideas of fascism playing with ideas of um you know kind of gross stereotyping uh, and and it's weird because it actually has to in, in order to kind of successfully make those work it has to kind of imbibe them so it actually participates and revels sometimes in those stereotypes mm-hmm. but i think there's definitely something more sinister and interesting kind of always bubbling beneath the surface about how those power dynamics work in this film i mean you're you're really putting the nail in the head on something that i definitely did not pick up as a child but upon re-watching i could see visual references and cues and perhaps even direction to some of the actors especially angelica houston on how to perform uh that definitely i think alluded to some um dictator speeches and kind of fascist rallies of kind of how to rile up uh, an audience of acolytes of political acolytes or religious acolytes and I that was actually one of the scariest elements of the film as an adult even and the fact that that imagery is so evocative and so terrifying all at once and perhaps that's one of the things as well that stuck uh, as a child but I thankfully we don't have the the language to articulate it at that time but there's something that stuck to me and I made a note of it as I was watching the film last night of um, the idea of evil stereotypes or the idea of stereotypes of an evil woman and at one point when describing the high witch in kind of this um, hierarchy of witches in the film they call her the most evil woman in creation and I wonder if you had any thoughts about what what kind of stereotypes of an evil woman, and I'm using air quotes here, which is great podcast content, uh, Nicholas Vogue draws on to, to create the characters of the witches. And the most explicit one of them is obviously Ava, the High Witch. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, she is the embodiment, I guess, of all evil women. And in some ways, that, that that's also what's kind of fascinating about this idea of like, the concept of removing the mask, like this two-facedness that we have. Um, one, that the the mask is this beautiful actress's face, which actually is her real face. So the idea of that as a mask in itself is kind of an interesting provocation, um, and especially because it's a heavily made-up natural face. So even though, like you said, some of the other witches maybe look a bit more kind of realistic or they're made up more naturalistic uh, uh, kind of base on their face, Angelica Houston's makeup is extremely performative. So even as a kind of natural or, you know, even if we think about her as an actress or a real woman, um, that's kind of always undermined and taken away from us by this idea of the face as a canvas. Um, And then in this film, the idea of the face of a canvas is literal because it is a physical canvas that is removed and it is a canvas that is drawn upon um, with the makeup. So we have this kind of idea of like, evil women being women who wear makeup which is something that goes all the way back I mean all the way back like Shakespeare has lines about this like about two-facedness um and makeup in 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 you know like Hamlet I think in some of his plays you know they they it's it's in Chaucer like this idea of like you know kind of the duplicity of women this idea of painting the face so you know it's all the way through literary history it's all the way through everything this kind of idea that women are just naturally duplicitous by the fact that they um enhance or change 
change or kind of paint on um, something to to the canvas of their faces. And so then that's taken a step further by this idea of like removing that face or that mask. It's like not just this idea of kind of a carapace where you can't kind of find your way in. You can actually remove it and find the thing underneath. And the thing underneath is the most hideous thing that in stereotypes that they can imagine, which draws on this idea of stereotypical witches. You know, you think about things like she looks a lot like the witch from Snow White. Um, You know, she has this kind of like big, again, it's kind of symbolism for, 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 you know, can be read as symbolism for Jewish Um, women is this big hook nose. She has this wart on her nose. She has, um, you know, the idea that like, even just things like there is um, hairs sprouting from her chin or from, you know, like the idea that women's faces shouldn't have hair on them. Um, This kind of anything that is considered ill groom, (laughs) ill grooming um, or or not kind of taking care of or beauty Um, aging, the idea of dermatitis being wrinkled or um, the, the kind of skin being uh, affected in any way. So it being like raw or abrasive. And so you, you get the sense of this, like the prosthetics that they use is that it could be that the, it's a really old shriveled face, or it could be that it's scarred, um, dermatitis as well. And this idea of scarring or physical scarring also somehow, you know, being something evil, um, because it's not, it's not young, it's not youthful. It doesn't have collagen in it. It doesn't have that kind of buoyancy that young skin has. Um, so the skin itself, the way that we see the hair, the 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 kind of blemishes the warts the 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 angles I mean even just the you know it plays again on that idea of like high cheekbones are supposed to be something that we value as beautiful Mm -hmm. but not if they're so pointy that you can see the bone um and you know in this as well she had prosthetics um on her collarbone and so the whole of her collar is really also like protruding um and it's this this thing about being you know, women are supposed to be slender for that to be beautiful, but she's too skinny. Like we don't, you know, there's this thing in the film of like, yeah, but not at the point where you can see the bones or that you get a hunchback because of it. You get this kind of hump or, you know, that sort of thing. And so it is drawing on those kind of like, um, you know, the, the, the women that wear makeup in classical kind of narratives, but also then those witches from cartoons like Snow White from, you know, other kind of depictions of, of witches in cinema. Uh, and, and, and also I just, I, I think the other stereotypes of like female protagonists or even supporting characters like film, uh, you know, femme fatales from the, the 1940s, like any of those women, um, you know, even just thinking about like, heels tights and a hemline that kind of thing like looking at back at black and white cinema um women in hats you know like gloves all of that kind of stuff i think it also harks to kind of early 1930s 1940s you know that sort of like i guess wartime um or or even moving into post-war cinema uh it definitely reminds me of the kind of lead female characters from that so i think that there's a great wealth um that that rogue um is drawing on that's there in some of the the material from roald dahl but also that he's taking from cinematic history and the stereotypes that have been built since the book was written as well even um in the 80s we mentioned it a few times before but how do you think this film fits into the work of Nicholas Rogue. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing that you definitely don't notice as a child. Yeah. And see when you're an adult. And it's wonderful about the way that you can reposition and revisit films mm-hmm. is that they can, you know, they can be what they were before and then something else on top of that. And what really struck me was in that convention scene where they're all in the room together. Yes is the camera angles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we get these incredible low angles uh, looking up at the witches. We get really uncomfortable close-ups, like quite 
quite close close-ups on people's really faces. Really distorted close-ups as well. Yeah, this this idea of the camera tilting or the camera being um, having maybe a fisheye lens or, you know, the lenses he uses, the angles he shoots at um, and the way in which that's all hastily kind of shot together. There's also a little bit of handheld cam in that sequence when when Luke, the young boy, is kind of moving through the witches, like under their legs, ducking in and out, trying to escape them. And so those camera angles and those sort of like harsh and um, abrasive ways of looking at things they, they remind you of his his other work of you know his, his editing and, and and the way that he filmed in the man who fell to earth or walkabout or you know some mm-hmm. of his other films don't look now I mean you know the kind of like actually I think don't look now maybe that opening sequence you know where we sort of like we we see things and then it stops um, and how he plays with time, you know, I mean, Nicholas Rogue also played a lot with time in his cinematography. And I think that he does that in The Witches as well, is that we get these, it distorts time by using handheld camera where we're kind of one minute, we're messily rummaging through things, following a young boy on the floor to like these really held poses from like really extreme angles. I mean, you, you know, where you're very aware of like looking up at the power dynamic of the witch from the ground, or you're very aware of like looking very closely at like the, the kind of dermabrasion on somebody's face or at the, the hairs poking out of their ear. And it's so that we can see that detail and extremely, but I also think it's so that he can play, Play with this concept of cinematic time um, because it does it does kind of confuse and disorient the viewer and I think Nicholas Rogue does a lot of that in his films to kind of almost wrong foot you so that um, and, and then perhaps that's why it's so effective as a child because you don't know that that's what he's doing or how it's being done you don't understand that the the language of cinema is being employed uh, to make you feel that way you just know that this is a very stressful scene and that it's uh, you know and that's absolutely comes across so incredibly well with like the the kind of tone and atmosphere that's built but actually it's down to the really successful mounting of those details and of a very very clever craft I do actually struggle thinking about this as a children's film but I find it really interesting that this film is probably one of the most obvious examples of witches in cinema whose entire purpose whose entire raison d'etre seems to be to hate and kill children (laughs) I mean even more than Hocus Pocus I I couldn't see any kind of um, gain for them Aside from just pure sadism, it was kind of a hate that was almost uh, instinctive. They just, they could not physically tolerate the presence or the existence of children. It's it's quite notable that, uh, you know, the, the grandma in the film tells Luke that the cleaner a child is, the more they stink to a witch. And every time a child is in their midst, they're very, very visibly kind of cover up their noses and make all of these gross faces like they're in front of the stinkiest little thing they have ever seen or smelt. And what did you think about this kind of relationship between these women and children? Because we're told from the very beginning, witches can only be women. No warlocks exist in this world. And the thing that they hate the most, and we're never kind of explained why, is uh, children. And it's almost comical. Like it's taken to an almost comical degree, the way that they that hate just consumes everything about them. And it's sort of tongue-in-cheek because their um, they're cover for this get-together of the witches from, from all countries in the world is the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty Against Children, yes. uh, which is fantastic. 
yeah. I mean, it's it's quite it's quite amazing actually. It's yeah, it's it's sensory, it's guttural. You know, like they smell it, they're disgusted, they're actually physically disgusted um, to the point of of a sensory uh, abhorrence to children. And I think this is really key because it, you know it's so important when thinking about the roles that women uh, portray in literature, film, etc., and how like they're considered is that you know often it is as a sexual object, um, as a, a kind of body on the slab, um, as a whore or, or, or a Madonna or a mother. Um, and this, this idea that, you know, women are inherently in a way that for men, it can be a choice, but this idea that for women, it's an inherent idea that you should be a mother or that you're maternal, you have instincts to protect, um, and to love children. And to, I guess to also like in that sense, to protect and further the human race, right? So we'll maybe come back to that idea, but this is a kind of idea of like the perpetuation of humans and the idea of being nurturing and maternal as an instinct. Um, and that any woman to that must be, it must be a witch or it must be something evil because it's evil not to want the perpetuation of human life or it's evil not to want that. It's a very heteronormative idea, but this kind of concept of like um, heteronormative procreative uh, instinct. And so and I find it really interesting when juxtaposed as well with the the only other woman in the film who is kind of like got a character, which is the grandmother, who is played by Mai Zetterling, this yes. really like incredibly famous filmmaker, um, you know, Swedish feminist filmmaker from from the you know sixties, seventies, etc. And you're kind of thinking, hang on a minute, <laughs> like you know, she embodies all of this stuff about the kind of. Um, you know, and obviously that's no mistake. And I'm sure Nicholas Rogue didn't accidentally cast her. You know, it's this idea of like, you know, she embodies this idea of the emancipation or the freedom of, of women. And, and, you know, through her films like Girls, this idea of looking at plays and Lysistrata and the idea of withholding sex. And, you know, she's very interested in the kind of structural roles that women play in society, the breakdown of those roles um, and the exploration of those things, along with lots of other stuff like, you know, kind of same sex attraction as well. Um, and so you have her as the counterpoint and she is maternal she's you know he the young boy's parents were killed I think in an accident and mm -hmm. you know we don't we don't kind of get the full backstory but he doesn't have parents and the grandmother figure has become the mother she's looked after him um so this maternal woman you know that's her purpose even as an as an aging woman is to be maternal is to look after a young boy is to kind of preserve that idea of heteronormative function in society. And these witches are the opposite of that. Their idea is completely to kind of halt the preservation of the human race. Um, it is to, to, to hate um, the, the new life children um, and to think about, and in a way, this film kind of actually sort of fits in with an ideology with um, Hitchcock's The Birds. And there's this really great piece, um, now I'm gonna forget uh, the, the writer's name, um, I think it's David Edelman, but I have to look that up, um, who, who wrote this great piece, No Future, about the birds. Um, and it's all about a kind of queer reading of the film and about this concept of like looking at the horror, like staging as horror, the idea of the future without children, without heteronormativity. Like what is the kind of um, the kind of perversity or, or the fear to straight people of this kind of queering um, of something where there is no future for children or there is no kind of perpetuation of the human race. And I think The Witches actually taps into that. And that's why it that's why it's a, a children's film that is such a, a crazy horror because for children, the idea, um, it's scary to think that we wouldn't, as a child, to think that you 
somebody wants to kill you just for being a child, just for existing, um, and that you're in danger because um, you, you kind of don't really understand that idea. Um, and especially, like I said, when you might even as a child see Angelica Houston as the age of similar to your own mother and think of her as a maternal figure in the first instance, then to see that she's this horrible uh, counterpoint that doesn't want the perpetuation uh, of you and people like you of your age or older or younger is really scary. And so I think that that's the idea of evil in this film is, you know, and even as an adult as we're thinking, oh, like, don't we all kind of silently, even if we don't personally want children, don't we silently have some kind of social contract to protect children in society? I think so, I think we kind of do. Um, and that's not to say that people don't share, there are of course people who wouldn't share that viewpoint, but I think as a whole, society has this idea that we want to kind of protect um, help and kind of educate and, and, you know, bring into the world children and that like, you know, we have some kind of innate sense of them, of children being worthy of that. Whereas this film undermines all of that. And I think that that's what makes it kind of inherently a horror, even though, you know, arguably it's a kid's film. <laughs> Although apparently the most scary elements of the film were taken out. <laughs> I would, give everything to see the prop like the uncut version of the witches me too i would love to see nick rogue's original cut which apparently he only took out some of those scenes because he showed it to his own son and his son found it so scary i, I believe so i mean <laughs> I we have to ask luke rogue um please can you tell us like what were those scenes oh, i would love that do you do you think it works as a horror film even to this day not just for children yeah, no, I do actually. I think that I think it does work as a horror film, and I think I think it's because because of the filmmaking, um, and also because of the ideology that mm -hmm. is in the film. Because some of it is scary and sometimes dangerous, um, and I think I think you know Rogue's pushing those boundaries constantly, so that it precisely so that even though it is a children's film, again I'm doing it quotes on a podcast, but so that it, <laughs> so that it will work as well for for adults. And I think Rogue was you know deeply aware of that um as a uh, watching this as like a new mother the thing that I found or I think actually maybe it was um if I watched it as a new mother or when I was pregnant but you know at this time where my my view of these things was changing mm -hmm. the most scary thing and again it's allusion to film history to the kind of Odessa steps in Potemkin Battleship Potemkin but where the pram is on the cliff and like she just pushes it and then they go running after this pram almost about to go off a cliff into the seaside and I was mm -hmm. like the actual physical horror that I felt in that moment like it was visceral and tangible um so I think that this film does work as a horror because it's so it's it taps into so many things that like you're afraid of like as a new mother yeah like just for a second not paying attention to your pram and then it, it kind of going off like you know in this reminding you of this horrible moment in Battleship Potemkin as well I think you know it does it just compacts so many things references and ideologies into a moment that you can't help but feel them all really physically I, I love that that one scene which I also remember vividly from last night just terrified me not with that reading in particular uh, because I'm 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 not a a mother, but because of the sheer joy that was plastered all over Angelica Houston's face, she was very much like the Joker in that scene. She just wanted to cause chaos, and she wanted to see the the children, the mother, 
and all her witches run around and try to either grab the baby or grab Luke and she just wanted to see the chaos and how much of it could she uh, could she cause and delight in the sheer delight on her face was terrifying to watch yeah I think you're absolutely right about that and the point that you make about um you know kind of it being a sadist act of just wanting to do it for the sake of doing it and it not having this backstory or reason necessarily for why they they kind of hate children um and I think actually that also kind of defies that sort of whole school of reading things where, you know, psychoanalysis would kind of often permeate film readings or this, these ideas that um, traditionally we would kind of use or tools we would use to kind of decode Mm -hmm. text, um, whether that be visual or written, but to decode it and to kind of say, well, like characters have motivations um, and that, that there are, there are kind of like, there are, there are stories that build up to reasons as to why things take place. This idea of causality, um, and particularly with any type of um, linear narrative, the idea of causality is so key to plot, and it's so key to the development of a narrative and the way in which we understand the film that we kind of can't really imagine that there would ever be such a thing as no narrative or no causal logic to the way that things progress. But again, if you take somebody like Nicholas Rogue and apply him to a story like this, he actually is used to playing with, again, space, time, um, playing with those kind of dynamics that for him, I think that's that also he kind of is able to ramp up that idea of causal logic not having any bearing, um, even in even though it is a narrative film, he kind of removes some of that causal logic and takes it away and sort of says, no, like we're going to definitely play up that angle of it being sadistic and, and about power and about um, the kind of embodiment of just chaos, like you say. What do you think is the legacy of the witches? It's interesting because, um, you know, this film had such a, a difficult time uh, actually in, in, in the end in its production and kind of actually kind of getting out there because uh, it's an initial distributor went bust and then it was kind of like picked up by Warner Brothers later and, you know, distributed late. It did okay at the box office. It took some money, but it didn't. It wasn't, the, I think, the kind of hit that people had hoped. No, um, it Rosal- wasn't disowned it because he doesn't like the ending that Nicholas Rogue went with, even though they kind of made to. Um, there was a lot of animosity between Jim Henson's company, you know, and, and Roald Dahl during the, the kind of production process. And and I think it's, it's sort of fascinating because it found its place among kids of our generation, I think, it, you know, but that was on VHS. Mm-hmm. Um, so it didn't kind of like get its cinematic um, justice or what it wanted, I guess. And it found its place with a lot of people of our generation um, and that home entertainment uh, viewing arena. And I think there that's where it's kind of stayed in that it's it's got this cultish or nostalgic, um, like people of our generation have a lot of love for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how well it plays with children now because it's very unlike any other children's film, you know, in, in, in one, how scary it is. I mean, the only other film that kind of it brings to mind for me or maybe as things like the dark crystal, um, you know, that have that sort of like with the Skeksis, which is, you know, again, Jim Henson, but that that has this idea of something that is kind of terrifying, um, has some narrative resolution, but is also a lot scarier because children's films outside of like maybe that period in the Mm eighties actually don't have that same kind of, um, animosity or scariness to them. A lot of, a lot of children's films don't really do that. And particularly now I think children's films are quite scared to go to that level um 
where something really traumatic happens and a child is, is supposed to kind of deal with that. I think though this film takes the same ideology or the same approach as um, The NeverEnding Story, which is another one of my favorite children's films, in that it, it has something that is really, really scary happen in the narrative that will upset children. But because it has resolution at the end, um, it they sort of assume that the children can cope with that. So I don't know. I feel like this film really has like a cult status now, but that it, it never really – that it only really kind of has that because it also – is something that was so viscerally stuck to children of the eighties that anyone who saw it when they were a kid in the eighties, like you cannot forget this film. God, I couldn't agree more. I think it's also uh, one of the films that Olivia is still terrified of <laughs> to this day. I mean, it's she'll, it's really she'll hate me for bringing this up, but she always does. <laughs> genuinely scary actually the other film that it reminds me of which i was scared of as a kid was mm. return to oz with all the heads princess Mombi and all the heads um and and i kind of think of actually yeah this that maybe jabberwocky like there's a kind of collection of dark crystal like those films that mm. i remember as a kid watching i loved them but i was scared of them like they they did scare me genuinely um and but they stayed with me in a way that some of the other things i watched as a child maybe mm. didn't um you know didn't kind of like stick around i mean i i actually never really liked disney films as a kid at all i just didn't, didn't really do anything for me but things like the witches and return to Oz, maybe that says a lot about the kind of person i became as an adult but they did they really <laughs> stuck with me these films are you looking forward to the remake that's coming hopefully this year I was going to say, is that still happening? So is that Robert Zemeckis was was kind of pegged to do a remake of The Witches or is he not attached to it anymore? I can't, it, I remember reading about this a couple of years ago and then I kind of like lost interest in, <laughs> you know, production storylines. So it is still Zemeckis. It is. Yeah. And it's produced by uh, Guillermo del Toro and Alfonso Cuaron. That's interesting. right. Yeah. 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 But it stars um, Anne Hathaway as the Grand High Witch, so in the role that Angelica Houston had. I mean, no disrespect to Anne Hathaway, but she's no Angelica Houston. And no disrespect, actually, to Zemeckis or the, you know, any of the fantastic producers attached, but I just don't... I mean, I think it'll probably... I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm sure it'll be interesting. But I, I hope it stands... Uh, separate and it doesn't try to recreate too much i hope it tries to do something different because mm. nothing i don't think could touch what nicholas rogue did with that film i mean you know grueling six hours it took angelica houston to put that prosthetics on yeah and then six hours to take it off as well i mean you know that's that's a craft yeah i think i genuinely i am approaching in the same way as i approach most remakes except um <laughs> the night of the hunter but they're such <laughs> fundamentally different directors. Like Zemeckis and Rogue just don't even live in the same universe, cinematically speaking. And yeah. I like them both in completely different realms. And I think actually I'm I'm quite hopeful for Anne Hathaway because I think she has been having a lot of fun with heightened roles. I think the most uh, enjoyment I've gotten out of a, a Hathaway performance has been actually in Ocean's 8, where she is allowed to really dial up to 11, really go a bit hammy and really embody and kind of give... Uh, a high octane performance as opposed to something a bit more dramatic or internal or subdued so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing what she 
what she's going to do because I think she's on a on a run of playing around with roles that go against uh, the type of roles that she has built her career on. Yeah, I'm less enthusiastic than you, <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I'll I'll definitely go see it. <laughs> Tara, thank you so much for uh, for your time and for your insight. Um, is there anything you would like to plug? Where can people find out uh, about your work online? No, actually, I don't want to plug anything, but I just realized that I must have done the math slightly wrong because I can't have been eight years old when uh, I saw this film because it was 1990, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to reveal my age, but I was definitely a little bit older than eight. <laughs> Still equally traumatizing. I mean, I could have watched this film at 19 and regressed entirely to being nine. So I'm completely with you there. <laughs> um, thanks so much, Tara. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of the Final Girls podcast. Please do rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more about what we do on thefinalgirls.co.uk and follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at thefinalgirls.uk. Let us know what you think about the podcast by leaving us a review. It really helps, especially as independent producers. And you can also get in touch with us on hello at thefinalgirls.co.uk. You can follow Tara on Twitter at Midnight Movies and I am on Anna B. Demented. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more witchy goodness next week. The meeting is over. Until next year. <laughs>